Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're going to continue in our series that we've entitled Shift. Talking about how the world around us is continually changing, but God is not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but how do we respond as followers of Jesus Christ? And today you get the wonderful privilege of being able to hear from a good friend of mine, Dr. Jarrett Stevens. He serves as a teaching pastor at one of the largest churches in America at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. He's written a book, The Mountains Are Calling, and you can check that out, find it on Amazon, and read it and change your perspective on God, and maybe even change your perspective on yourself. But one of the things I love about Jarrett is his passion, his genuine love for Jesus. I remember one time when I was at Prestonwood, and he was there, and, and he was just sharing some of what he was learning in his own heart and totally impacted the way I started seeing other people around me because of his heart for the gospel, his heart to see lives change. And so I'm excited for you to hear from my friend. He's been here to preach before. I know you're going to be blessed. Let me pray for him and for you as he opens up the scriptures for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for those that are gathered in your name today. I know you've got a plan. You knew before the beginning of time that we would be watching this service online, that we'd be gathered in your name, even in a bunch of different locations. You knew that Pastor Stevens was going to preach this message. God, I pray that you would work through his lips. I pray that you would change lives. I pray you'd save somebody. I pray that you'd, you'd transform our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Southbridge Fellowship, it is so good to be able to connect with you in this way. And let me just say, I'm so honored to be able to speak God's word over you today in this type of setting, this type of environment. I'm so sorry that I can't be there with you in person, was planning on coming uh, a little bit later in August to be with you. But of course, because of COVID and everything that's going along with it, I was not able to make the trip. And uh, I hate that. I know I was with you just a few years ago and uh, brought one of my daughters with me. We had such a good time uh, with you and the faith community there at Southbridge. And I hate that I cannot be there uh, with you this time in person, but this is the next best thing. And I'm just really honored to be able to open up God's word with you. I want to thank Pastor Scott uh, just for the invitation uh, to be able to preach and to be able to address you. And uh, Scott and I go way back. We're great friends and uh, so impressed with the work that God is doing uh, through Scott and through you uh, and your great church. And so uh, thank you so much for the ability to open up the scriptures. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to just grab them. Turn to Acts chapter 6. I know that you recently started a series that you're calling Shift, and uh, certainly uh, we need to shift and pivot in these days as believers. All that we're seeing in the world uh, just uh, recently through uh, just the untimely death of people like George Floyd uh, to uh, what we're seeing with the rioting and the looting and the protests, so much going on. And so I thought what would be important uh, today is to just address what kind of Christian should we be in a time of shifting like uh, we're seeing? Well, what kind of believers are we to be? And so I want to do something a little different, and that is I want to give you a biographical approach uh, of a person that we meet in Scripture that I think we can learn a lot from. And in this shifting culture, in these shifting days, we're going to meet someone today, a person by the name of Stephen, uh, that remains strong in his faith in uh, what was some crazy days in his time. You know, Stephen, uh, we're introduced to in Acts chapter 6. And I love reading uh, the Acts of the Apostles. I'm reading it right now, just in my own time alone with the Lord. And I love seeing about the birth of the church, 
the growth and advancement of the church. If you're looking for a book that uh, has suspense and adventure and great storytelling, then I would tell you uh, start reading the Acts of the Apostles because it has all of that and more uh, within its pages. But in Acts chapter 6, the early church uh, is a, has a problem that they are confronted with. And the problem is that there are some people, some widows, that were being overlooked. They felt they were being overlooked. And they weren't being overlooked on purpose. It was just that the church was growing and uh, the disciples were increasing. And so this problem comes up. These widows say, hey, we're, our needs aren't being met in an effective way. And so the church leaders get together. They call a meeting and they come up with a solution to the problem. And I think it's so uh, unique. I want to read it to you because it's a, a problem that was uh, answered in the same way that we answer uh, the problems that we're dealt with today. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I preached this text a number of times here at our own church as it relates to deacon ordination. This is the passage uh, that we uh, get that inspires deacon ministry. And uh, I'm sure at your church and here, uh, there are two offices in the New Testament that we recognize. One is that of pastor and elder, uh, words used interchangeable, and then that of the deacon. And as we see here in the scripture, the pastors, the elders, are to give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the deacons are to come alongside the pastor and they are to serve. That's what the word deacon means. It means to serve. And when you have the pastors and the elders praying and teaching and preaching and building up the body of Christ, and when you have deacons, servant leaders in the church coming alongside the pastors and meeting the needs of the faith community, something beautiful happens. And it happened in this early church. The result of this, if you look in verse 7, the first part says, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. I mean, it's a good church growth strategy for today. Pastors and elders pray and preach the word. Deacons come alongside the pastors and serve and meet needs. And uh, when you do this, uh, the church is built up and the church will advance and it will grow. And I don't know uh, about your church specifically, but I know here at Prestonwood, we wouldn't be a church that we are without the pastors and the elders and the deacons working together. And I'm sure it's the same way there at South Bridge. And so uh, this is where we first learned of Stephen. And the Bible says, says that he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And as we talk about being Christians in a shifting culture, uh, I want to talk to you today looking at the life of Stephen as to how he stood firm in times that were shifting. And if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, I want you to note first his character. Did you notice how he was described in Scripture? Verse 3 says, Pick out from among you men that are, have good repute, a good reputation full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And then Stephen is singled out there in the second part of verse five. And it says, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. What we know of Stephen is that he was an ordinary man. Uh, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't an eyewitness that we know of to any of Jesus's miracles or his death or his resurrection or his ascension, just an ordinary person. Yet the scripture 
goes over and above. Every time he's mentioned, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. That word full of, it means he is completely surrendered to. He is dominated by, controlled by the Holy Spirit. I think it's amazing that when God saves someone, uh, you know, we all feel like just regular, normal people, average people. How can God ever use me? And yet God saves us and he puts his Holy Spirit in us. And you're watching this message today and you're saved. You've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. God's spirit lives in you. You are anything but ordinary. You are extraordinary. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. And if and when we as believers decide to live like Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. When we make that decision, that's when God starts moving in our lives in a big, big way. I want to emphasize, I want to underscore this. Stephen was not a super saint. God's going to use him in a major way here in just a moment. Uh, But he was just a regular person, surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God, saved and surrendered. And this is where it starts for us as believers. Uh, Notice again, just his character. Uh, He was a man of good repute. In other words, who he was on the inside influenced how he lived on the outside. Uh, There was no duplicity. There was no hypocrisy. There was no saying one thing and then doing another or saying you believe one thing and living contradictory to it. No, no, no. Uh, Stephen was a man of integrity. He was a man of character, of good repute. And apparently he was willing to do whatever was asked of him, no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant uh, it may be. Waiting tables, serving widows. You want to know if you are filled with, dominated by, controlled by the Holy Spirit, then ask yourself this question. This would be a good way to determine, to gauge how full of the Spirit you are. How do you respond when asked to do a seemingly insignificant small task? Do you complain? Do you try to get out of it? Maybe it's an assignment that no one else wants. Uh, Maybe it's an assignment that's not going to get your name in the paper, something no one else wants to do. What do you do? Do you try to get out of it, complain, maybe take a selfie of you doing it just to have a record of it, show other people just so you can get a light? What do you do? How do you respond? See, people filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the size of the assignment, the recognition that may or may not come with completing that assignment, fulfilling that task, people full of the Holy Spirit, they're not worried about that. What they're consumed with is, are they being obedient to God? Are they being faithful to God? Are they representing God in an honorable way? Uh, during the lockdown, during the quarantine, uh, you know, I have four girls at our house. It is a sorority house. I'm the president of my sorority house. Four little girls and then five counting my wife. And so I was home a lot and God was teaching me a lot of things. And uh, I've been able to share with our church just some of the things that God was teaching me. And one 
one of those uh, things that I believe God was stretching me and was just in my, in my humility because I was home more often. And it was just amazing to me uh, how much I wanted to just kind of seclude, get away, be by myself. Uh, I, I was finding myself not wanting to serve my own family. And God was just growing me in my humility. You know, I tell God all the time, God, use me to change the world. Lord, I want to I want to make a difference. Just I want to use me. And it was just like the spirit of God during quarantine says, Jared, you want to change the world, but you don't even want to change the dishwasher for your wife. And it was convicting uh, because here I was uh, having a, a, a job here at the church and serving the church and in my own heart doing it uh, as selflessly as I could. But then I would go home and those that are closest to me, uh, I wasn't living like that there. And God was just stretching me on that. Uh, D.L. Moody uh, said this, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do the little things. Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And he was willing to do the little things. He was willing to roll up his sleeves, even in the most menial task. He didn't have to have his name in the headlines. And this is what people full of the Holy Spirit do. They serve because they're surrendered. They're dominated by the Holy Spirit of God. And anybody that is dominated and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, watch this. There is a spirit of humility about them. And so I would ask you, what about you? Um, is there a spirit of humility about you? It's usually seen in the way that you serve, even if you're not getting credit, even if nobody sees you, even if it's a small, small task. I want you to note Stephen's character. If we're going to be Christians who make a difference in the shifting culture that we're in, we have to be men and women of character. That's who Stephen was. Secondly, I want you to notice his conviction. Now, we don't know how much time passed between Acts chapter 6, verse 7 and Acts chapter 6, verse 8, but we think it was a considerable amount of time. The gospel was bearing fruit. Uh, the church was growing and advancing so much so that if you look at verse 7, the Bible says that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You know something special is going on when the pastors and preachers are getting saved. And so uh, God is on the move. And Stephen in this time, just this regular ordinary man, this servant leader in the church, filled with the Spirit, he becomes a force to be reckoned with. He's previously described in Acts, we looked at it in verse 5, as someone who is full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. But look at how he's described in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is the first time we see in Scripture someone other than the apostles performing wonders and signs. And there's no doubt that God's hand was on Stephen in a special way. He had a special anointing. And it seems to, that, to be that he had a special ministry specifically to Greek-speaking Jews. They're called Hellenists. And Stephen uh, was speaking and uh, he was teaching and evidently some leaders from a Greek-speaking Jewish synagogue was hearing him and they didn't like what he was saying. And they began to dispute with him, verse 9 says. But look at verse 10 of Acts chapter 6. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Here Stephen is a man full of faith. He has powers and signs accompanying his ministry. And these leaders in the church, specifically this 
place called the Synagogue of Freedmen. Again, we just believe it was a synagogue for Greek-speaking Jews that had been scattered and now they're regathered in Jerusalem. And they don't like what Stephen has to say, but they can't argue with him because Stephen's full of wisdom. And so what do they do? They bring him before the Sanhedrin and they make false accusations. They bring up false witnesses. And I want you to think about this because this is a serious deal. I mean, the Sanhedrin, they're the ones that paid Judas off to portray Jesus. The Sanhedrin, they're the ones that uh, brought Jesus before the kangaroo court there at the house of Caiaphas. They're the ones that strong-armed Pilate and pressured him to ultimately put Jesus to death. This is a serious issue that Stephen is standing before this ruling council. He knows he's being accused of blasphemy. He knows that if he's found guilty, he is put to death. But we're talking about a man who stood strong in his convictions. Listen to how Stephen is described as all of these accusations and false witnesses are coming against him. The Bible tells us Acts chapter 6 verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face, Stephen's face, was like that of the face of an angel. Unbelievable. Here he is on trial for his life. And he's being accused of blasphemy against Moses and against God. He's being accused of changing the customs of Moses, the Bible says. And yet, the Bible says that his face is glowing. And it's reminiscent of Moses' face glowing in Exodus chapter 34 when he came off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And so the question is, what's Stephen going to do? Here he is, false accusations, false witnesses. His life is on the line. The penalty for blasphemy is stoning, death. What is Stephen going to do? And the high priest even asked him, Acts chapter 7 verse 1, Stephen, are these things so? Is Stephen going to recant? Is Stephen going to back down? Absolutely not. You know why? Because people with convictions, when they believe something in the deep recesses of their being, they cannot go against it. That's what conviction is. Ravi Zacharias, who passed away in May, was a great apologist. He traveled all over the world teaching in colleges and universities, debating atheists and agnostics and uh, he was a great defender of the faith. When he was 17 years old, he grew up in India. He tried to commit suicide by swallowing poison, and he, his parents rushed him to the hospital. And He was just a lost young man, 17. He had no purpose and direction in his life. And yet, uh, someone gave his mom a copy of the Bible and said, I want you to read John chapter 14 over him, and read it over him and over him and over him. And according to Robbie's own testimony, when it came to verse 19 in John chapter 14, it says, because I live, you will live also. Uh, something struck uh, a chord in Robbie's heart and life, and his spirit was awakened, and he ended up giving his life to Christ. And for years, up until the age of 74, uh, he was preaching the gospel and defending the faith. It's a powerful testimony of a powerful life. Listen to what he said about conviction. He said, conviction is not merely an opinion. It is something rooted so deeply in the conscience that to change a conviction would be to change the very essence of who you are. Stephen, when given an opportunity to speak, he didn't back down. He didn't recant. Uh, you read Acts chapter 7 and he preaches a message and he talks about Israel's past from Abraham to, to Moses uh, it talks about how Israel continually rebelled against God, ultimately rejecting God's Messiah. 
He stood by his conviction so much so that look at his message. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so to you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. That's conviction. And let me just say, while we're in this area, again, we're talking about being Christians in a shifting culture. How are we to live in this way? What does the world need? Let me tell you what it needs more than ever. It needs people who will stand by their convictions. And not just stand by their convictions, because, you know, we're, we're looking at a world today where there's a lot of people standing by their convictions, but they don't have character. You can't follow those type of people. You can't trust their leadership. You don't know where they're going. There's no moral compass. They're more of a danger than anything else. What we need to be today is men and women. What Southbridge Fellowship needs is Christians who will be people of character who stand by their convictions. When you're a person of character and you stand by your convictions, this type of person changes the world. And history is replete with examples of this. I think about the great reformer Martin Luther who in 1521, it stands before the spokesman for the emperor of, of Rome, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and is told to recant because of his writings and his heresy against uh, the Catholic Church. He's told to take back what he's written concerning the abuses of the church. And do you remember what this man of character, this man of conviction said? He said this, unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the Scriptures. I have quote, quoted, and my conscience is captive by the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Talk about a man of character and a man of conviction. He sparked the Protestant Reformation, and he changed the world. What about our forefathers? I think about the father of our country, George Washington, who refused to submit to the tyranny of England. The Battle of Long Island, he gets his continental army together and they are looking out over the harbor and they are seeing the most powerful military force in the history of the world at the time. But George Washington is a man of character and talk about conviction, standing strong, even when it's tough, even when there's shifting sand underneath his feet. Listen to what he told his army. The time is near at hand, which must determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves, whether they are to have any property they can call their own, whether their houses or farms are to be pillaged and destroyed and themselves consigned to a state of wretchedness from which no human efforts will deliver them. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army army our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us only the choice of brave resistance or the most abject submission we have therefore to resolve to conquer or die and what does George Washington do he leads them into battle he leads them to fight another day ultimately winning our nation's freedom I'm telling you people of character who stand by their convictions change the world Martin Luther King Jr. leader of the civil rights movement in the late 50s and 60s Here's a man who saw racial inequity and racial injustice. Talk about a shifting culture and a man standing strong. He was a proponent of nonviolent protest, done in love, said he learned his ethic from Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Here's a man who, 
on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, famous I have a dream speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. These are men who were strong in character and they stood by their convictions and they changed the world. And I read examples like this and I say Southbridge Fellowship, this is what we need. We need more Stevens. We need more, more Martin Luthers, more George Washingtons, more Martin Luther King Juniors who will make the decision to be men and women of character who stand by their convictions. This is what will change the world. Note Stephen's character. Note his conviction. And then third and finally, note his courage. Stephen stands by his convictions even when he's facing death. He preaches this message and it doesn't go over well. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Some of your Bibles say cut to the heart and they ground their teeth at him like it's a picture of a pack of hungry wolves. Stephen's preaching and the people are convicted. And by the way, this is what happens whenever someone of conviction and of character stands up and preaches God's word, conviction's going to take place. Don't resist conviction. To resist conviction is to resist God himself. Isn't this who brings conviction? John chapter 16. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Don't don't bristle at conviction. Rather, embrace it because it's a sign that God is speaking to your heart. That's why the scripture says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. No, when God is convicting you, Embrace that conviction because God is growing you. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Satan loves to condemn. This is why he's called the accuser of the brethren. He condemns. Uh, He accuses. He brings shame. The Holy Spirit, he brings conviction. It's different. He comes alongside. He he offers words of hope and love and transformation. He says, I want you to be more like Christ. And he offers his aid in helping us to Be more like Christ. So don't resist conviction. To do so would be to resist God himself. But Stephen, he stands strong. He's courageous in the midst of opposition. The Bible tells us in verse 55 and 56, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. There is Jesus standing. Every time we see Jesus after he ascended in Scripture, he is sitting at the right hand of God. But here, two times, we're told that Jesus is standing. What's he standing? He's standing in affirmation. You know, if someone comes in my office and I'm happy to see him, it's not a bad meeting. If it's a bad meeting, I stay seated. If it's a good meeting, I'm happy to see him. What do I do? I stand up. It's a sign of affirmation and approval. And I just see Jesus standing there at the right hand of God in affirmation and approval 
of Stephen. Stephen's name means Stephanos. It's victor's crown. It's where we get the word crown from. I got a feeling that Jesus was standing there and approval and affirmation of this man's courageous act to stand by his convictions. And I'm pretty sure he probably had a crown behind his back he was getting ready to give because Stephen's getting ready to give his life. He's the first martyr. The Bible says in verses 57 through 60 of Acts chapter 7, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They killed him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. And he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? People full of the Holy Spirit, they usually sound like their Savior. That's exactly the words Jesus said on the cross. And the Bible says in verse 16, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, a man of character, a man of conviction, a man of courage. In these shifting days, Southbridge Fellowship, this is the type of people that we have to be if we are to make a difference, if we are to be the salt and light that God has called us to be. You read this story and you think, man, this, is, this, this ends bad. Stephen dies. But I want to remind you of what our early church father Tertullian said. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Um, in God's divine providence, Stephen gives his life. But in giving his life, the gospel goes forward. See, people don't like the message of the gospel. They think they can get rid of the messenger. They get rid of the message. That's how it was here. We'll get rid of Stephen and the message ceases. And that's how it is uh, today. You can look at any headlines you see. Go in and just type Christian persecution. And you see brothers and sisters all over the world who are losing their lives right now today. Because people think, if I can get rid of the messenger, I'll get rid of the message. But it's just not true. The message goes forward. The scriptures say in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about, and what were they doing? Preaching the word. Thus the seed, the blood of the martyrs, is the seed of the church. You cannot stop the gospel from going forward. And that's what this world needs more than anything else in this time. It needs the gospel. And when you have people of character and conviction and courage with the gospel of Jesus Christ as their supreme joy and their supreme treasure, and they live in this world upholding the gospel, you can't stop it. You can't stop a person like that. And so I want to challenge you in these days, in these days of uh, where our culture is truly, it seems like there's a shift going on. How do we live? We are to be just like Stephen, people of character, people of conviction, and people of courage. And I want to challenge you in this moment. This begins by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray for you, Southbridge. And again, thank you so very much for the opportunity to be able to preach God's word like this to you today. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the message that we've heard today. Thank you so very much for the example that we have of Stephen. And Lord, I pray in a culture like this that, Lord, it truly is 
moving at such a fast rate. Things are moving and shifting every single day. Lord, how are we to live? God, help us to be people of character who stand by our convictions courageously. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone watching this sermon today, this message, Lord, and your Holy Spirit has convicted them, they don't know you in a personal way. Jesus, this is where it all begins. Character begins when we trust in your Son as our Savior. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to repent of their sins and call on you, Lord, this is where it starts. I pray that they'd make that decision today and that, God, you would come to live and rule and reign in their life, change them from the inside out so that we can be the people of God you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Jared, for your message to us today. My name is Brad Altice, and I'm the kids pastor here at Southbridge Fellowship, and I wanted to share some information about some upcoming events. Students, student hangs are happening. Middle schoolers through high schoolers are invited on campus Sundays, 7.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. And don't forget about those online small group meetings Wednesday evenings. Check your emails for all the details. A prayer walk is scheduled for Friday, July 24th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. No registrations or signups are required. Just show up and be ready to pray. I hope to see you here on campus. And then finally, today, July 19th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., our Summer Family Experience or VBS at Home edition kicks off. You will come on campus to pick up all of your VBS materials that we have ready for you. There's still time to sign up. You can go to our forms page at sfchurch.com and register for our SFX. Well, that's about it for today, Southbridge. Thank you so much for joining us online. I hope that you have a great week. Will you join me? in the reading of our benediction from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.